And we liken it these days. Amy made this analogy, I think is really important. It's been baristas where we've basically been able to take orders and help people get what they need. We're going to have to recalibrate ourselves to becoming more missionaries. Welcome to the Exponential Groups podcast. I'm your host, Alan White. This podcast is designed to help you take the guesswork out of groups. In each episode, you will discover effective ways to recruit more leaders, form better groups, and make more disciples. Please subscribe to this monthly podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Episode 9. Today's guest is Bill Willits. Bill is the Executive Director of Adult Ministry Environments for North Point Ministries. One of the founding staff members of North Point, Bill is a graduate of Florida State University and Dallas Theological Seminary. He is also the co-author of the book, Creating Community with Andy Stanley, which was recently re-released in an updated and expanded edition. Bill and his team have helped connect thousands of adults into the benefits of group life. He is married to his wife, Terry, and they have one daughter, Bailey, and one granddaughter, Bentley. To access the show notes for today's episode, go to alanwhite.org forward slash episode nine. That's A-L-L-E-N-W-H-I-T-E dot O-R-G forward slash episode number nine. Now let's hear from Bill Willits. All right, Bill, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Alan, so good to be with you. Hey, so you have Creating Community has come out again, new edition after 16 years. A lot has changed in the last 16 months, not just 16 years. But what are you seeing that's different now from when you originally wrote the book 16 years ago? Like everything? <laughs> I everything mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, certainly this last 16 months have accelerated that. But, you know, uh, one of the things that we talk about is that individually, um, the need for community really, Alan, has never been greater. We, I used a quote 16 years ago from Gallup that said Americans are the loneliest people in the world. That quote that I used 16 years ago had actually been written 14 years previous. So it was 30 wow. years old. And right before COVID, and again, this is pre-COVID, I saw some studies that showed the loneliness epidemic that we have in America has only gotten worse. Gen Z is called the loneliest generation ever and is in worse physical health than all the other generations before it. Coming out of the pandemic, as you guys uh, all know, um, anxiety and depression are up, substance abuse is up, suicide, suicidal thoughts are up. And so the need for what we purveyors of community are all about has never been greater. So there's that kind of piece that individually the need's great, but culturally, I, I think we're at a definitely different day because the technological changes of the last 16 years, they have really provided some great benefits, but also some cor uh, corresponding challenges. I was at the Apple store last night or the AT&T store buying a new phone for my daughter and what the new phones are going to be able to do compared to old phones, um, isn't it amazing that your kid's phone just happens to go on the blink right before a new introduction? Isn't that just amazing? It, 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 who knew? It's uncanny. <laughs> so, but I mean, I think the changes have been great. And we saw that um, over the last 16 years. I mean, think about it. There were no smartphones. Uh, when I wrote 16 years ago, there was no real social media presence. Mm -hmm. there's no digital connection options that was uh, definitely not a possibility 
And we look at all those things, we say, man, those advancements, they've been such gifts, but they've come with some corresponding costs or downsides as well. For example, people today in that Gen Z quote earlier, I think is an example of that. They just don't know how to create meaningful relationships with other people as easily as they once did when they didn't have other things to distract them continually. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because of that, you've got some organizations that are taking some extraordinary steps to try to break the, um, the loneliness gap, if you will. Uh, I saw uh, quote, you, I'm, I know you saw it as well, that University of Southern California hired a director of belonging to help teach a class, a class on how to create meaningful relationships. Uh, they saw that students were having a high drop, higher dropout rate. They were dealing with suicide and those kinds of issues. And so they said, okay, we got to stem the tide here with the campus experience. Let's hire a director of belonging. And the class is a big hit because kids have been so focused on their devices. They haven't done some of the, what we would thought, intuitive work of just being able to connect well with other people. University of Chicago is working on a loneliness bill, and it is meant to help um, bring down anxiety and social situations. And while they say they aren't promising it will take loneliness away, their attempt is to try, try to deal with this pandemic. In the UK, the last illustration um, in the UK, they had this um, minister of loneliness that they, that they decided through a study that they needed to create and give a cabinet level um, funding and, and uh, staffing. And so I, I think today, culturally, not only is loneliness a problem, but culturally, we've only exasperated the issue. And so one of our, ch- one of our biggest challenges, I think, as church leaders is training and retraining people on how to be fully present and how to have meaningful relationships. Because those intuitive things of go out and play, be with others, learn what it means to be a good friend and to have good friends uh, has escaped. And, um, and so the need for what we do, I think, is greater than it's ever been. And I think technology has just even made it more so. I love the, 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 uh, this one quote, and I can't remember who said it, but technology was meant to make those who are far off feel near. And what it's done is made those near feel far off. And how many of us are all guilty of having done that with people in our midst? But I, I think it's so true. So I think there's some upsides, obviously, to the technological changes, but there's also some corresponding challenges that I'm hopeful we can help uh, people navigate more effectively in the days ahead. Yeah. I, a, a wise person said once that today people have more means of connecting than ever before, and yet they're more disconnected than they've ever been. Yeah. And that wise person was my wife. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. so um, yeah, I, I think that there's, there's a definitely plus and minuses. And I think it's that thing where it creates kind of pseudo community Good. that you think, you know, you're, you're following things, you're watching things, you're, you have some kind of interaction, but not necessarily people you're interacting with. And so it gives you this experience as if you've been with people and yet it leaves you feeling discouraged and depressed and envious and, you know, all of those things. So, yeah. So you, you've been in the small group world for a while. Let's kind of talk about how, how did you start into this whole small group thing? Well, I would say small groups have been part of my life since my early twenties, uh, 
and it was an organic group. It wasn't a um, strategic part of the church I was attending at the time. Um, so a couple of group experiences when I was in seminary, we also, I was in a small group and that was very meaningful as well. But organizationally, when we started North Point, there were three of us that were, I mean, there were six of us that were part of the launch and everybody owned everything, if you know what I mean. So we all jumped in. And so when it came to small groups, we had early on decided that um, groups would be kind of the organizational construct that we would leverage um, in connecting people meaningfully in our church. And we had come out of Sunday school environments. So we weren't mm-hmm. anti Sunday school. We had just experienced something unique in our group experience. So Andy called me one night and he said, Hey, I realized that we are just tooling around. We're growing big at the front door, but we are not getting people well-connected, um, in their experience in the first month or two. And so how can uh, what do you think we should do? And oh, by the way, I would love you to lead it. And so it was it was one of those. It was ironically, we were watching the Braves playoff. And this is back when we had landlines and my phone rings. I'm thinking, who's calling me in the middle of the playoffs? And <laughs> it was him. And he had heard from the Lord. No, he didn't use that term. But he <laughs> had invited me into a new future. And uh, and so small groups was a big piece of that. Now, other than the Braves playoff, where did you think you were headed at that time? Um, you know, that's a great question. We had we had a strategy that moved people relationally through different environments in our church. And so I was predominantly in that season, 60% of our congregation was young singles. And so I had been leading that initiative and um, enjoyed it immensely, had been in marriage ministry, went and worked with our young singles, started something um, that was real meaningful for us um, with Louis Giglio. And it was a Bible study that we did every week. And so that's where I thought I'd be for at least a few more years. But um, but then the church started to mature. We got in the burbs. We started to see a lot of families come in. And just this need for adults to have meaningful connection really took shape. Yeah. So you and Andy and several others were in this group. So, I mean, maybe it's a no-brainer, but what was it about the quality of that group that you guys wanted to see that multiplied at North Point? Yeah, so, yeah, and, and I think this deserves context because our first group experience was before we actually started North Point. Yeah. So we're in a different church, we're doing ministry, and, and you know church ministry, when you're leading something on Sunday mornings, you don't have the opportunity to participate in it. Right. And so... <laughs> Uh, as young married guys, we were looking for ways to connect as couples with a few other people in the church because um, we needed it. We needed it for our lives. We needed it for our marriages and we needed it um, for our growth. And so we started a small group and I got uh, we got two couples and they got two couples and we saw some just extraordinary things happen. I mean, Alan, I can tell you, honestly, I don't remember. I remember one curriculum that we studied. Um, So it wasn't always the curriculum Mm -hmm. um, that drove, obviously, what we experienced, but it was the freedom to have a group of people uh, in our lives that provided a safe place when we needed it most. We're starting, you know, when we... um, uh, we were in a kind of transitional season in church, and um, there was just a lot of things happening. And to have a place where we could really get perspective, process life, and have people 
turning us back towards Jesus mm-hmm. on a regular basis when they answered. We were going through infertility at the time, oh, wow. went, through, went through 13 years. At that season, I was leading marriage ministry. So we were in the baby factory and uh, we were dying. And, you know, while some of the couples in the group were starting their families and having their second kids and which was great. So we could celebrate with them and they could walk with us in a real season of grief, you know, wondering what the heck, God, what, what are you up to? And so, um, yeah, I go, I just say one, the curriculum, but, uh, one guy came to faith. As I mentioned, some people started their families. We tried to start our family. We saved, I think one couple from early divorce. Um, but it was, it was because we were, authentically walking with each other, mm-hmm. asking real questions and being present when we needed each other most. Yeah. No, and that's, that's it. That's it. And if obviously if people can catch the sense of that, you know, why would they, you know, they would run to it, not run from right. it. Right. But I know that at North Point in your ministry, you use the analogy of a house, the front porch. And, and so groups are not on the front end of things. Groups tend to be as people get in. Right. Am I say? Am I stating that right? Yeah. Historically, that's been true, and yet I think that's one of the cultural shifts. I was. I was going to say the front porch has changed this year. It sure has. It's look at all the people <laughs> sitting on the front porch. <laughs> we have. Um, yeah. We we historically would liken the ministry environments to rooms in a house. So we had the foyer where you had guests. You had the living room where you had friends, and then you had the kitchen table where you had family. And the whole idea was moving people strategically through those environments so they could move from being guests to family, to friends. And, um, but as you know, we're seeing people who are starting in some of our group environments or some of our middle pool environments, and they are more likely to be willing to uh, belong before they believe and be on journey with us. And it could be you know, a common cause that we're all, you know, surrounded around, or it can be a common activity that we're all around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're seeing while those who come to the church, that mindset still works. We're seeing people start with group through relationships with somebody in that. North Point has been such a successful ministry. And and yet to be able to, instead of waiting for things to get quote unquote back to normal and for things to come around, it's like, how do we, in this world we have now, even though we may be longing for the good old days of 2019, how do we, how do we minister to people we have now knowing that 2022 is still going to be different yet? And so okay. I, I, I think that's great. I mean, because you know, because a lot of times when you've had such an effective model and you've had, the, you, you've led the conference, you've taught the people, and yet it's a matter of, you know what, everybody has to innovate right now. Totally. Uh, we liken it these days, and he made this analogy, I think is really important. It's been baristas, where we've basically been able to take orders and help people get what they need. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to recalibrate ourselves to becoming more missionaries. Mm. and helping, and we've kind of changed our strategic language where rather than rooms in the house, what we're doing more is we're endearing ourselves to our communities, inspiring people who walk in the doors to follow Jesus, and then equipping the core. So we say endear, inspire, equip is kind of the strategic framework in which we're operating out because we want people happy that we're in their communities and um, they feel better. 
Um, they feel good and they feel better off because we're in the community. So there are things that we're doing in the community in the name of Jesus, just to be good neighbors. Who knew that was actually not a bad idea. You know, there we you go. Start, there start you go. <laughs> yeah, good neighbors. And uh, so during the last 18 months in particular, I mean, we've got COVID testing site in our parking lot. We've, We've done, I think, 25 Red Cross blood drives um, mm. as of during COVID. People were not giving blood like they had historically. So looking at unique ways that we can be uh, endearing ourselves to our communities mm-hmm. is part of that becoming a missionary rather than a barista uh, mindset. I like that. I like that analogy. Yeah, I know as far as medical things go, a doctor's office called me saying, oh, it's time for you to come in for your, you know, and I'm like, listen, I'm not going anywhere near anything medical for a long time. And so I can understand why people would stay away from that. So definitely a plus. Well, let's go very practical. Um, Some people look at North Point as if, you know, you just landed on earth from outer space somewhere and it just appeared and we're like, oh, wow, you can't even touch that. We don't even know how it happened. Uh, but you know how it happened because you were there before it happened. Um, so rather than looking at, oh, they have, you know, all these tens of thousands of people in groups, let's go just granular to how do you recruit a group leader? How do you, how do you recruit them and develop them and launch a group? What does that look like at North Point? I love this question because it's one we are asking ourselves constantly. Hmm. Um, and you and I know there are, a lot of little pushes involved in enlisting leaders. There's no silver bullets. And so anybody who is looking for the silver bullet, it doesn't exist. Um, And uh, there are not any easier people uh, to enlist. Um, They all are busy. They all have other things to do. So you're not crazy. But we use uh, five or six, seven different things, and they all have little pushes on the flywheel for us. When it comes to enlistment, obviously stage announcements were about oh four to six weeks out from a group launch season for us. We'll do stage announcements kind of as a teaser of what's coming, and then we'll throw in there if you're interested in leading, text this number or text lead to this number, and um, we will follow up with you. And so Stage announcements is one way. Andy does an email video announcement just about, I want to say, eight weeks before our group launch season where he says, hey, mark your calendar. Registration is going to go live on this date. If you would like to be uh, get a reminder when those the, our, we're an online registration system, when that online registration system opens, you know, text us to, to this. And if you would like to lead, again, just another little thing, we will do that. We have a follow-up two weeks later that is a lead pastor email coming from Andy, then the local campus follow-up. We're doing social media videos and asks along the way. We ask probably my favorite is, let's just ask our current leaders who in their group can lead. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I always say, when you're looking for who you need, don't forget those you have. And yeah. so they're sitting right there. They know the the people in their group. Of course, many of them are saying, yeah, but they won't be in my group anymore. And I right. say, well, guess what? 
they will still be in the community. You, you will be able to have opportunity to be with them, but don't let the success of your group be the demise of our group system. Um, and I like that. Create space like we created space for you. That's, that's what, you know, so we throw that out currently to recommendation. Now, are they selfless enough to do that? What do you, well, sometimes, <laughs> you know, guilt is a very strong and, um, and powerful tool. We try not to use it. Very it's, strong. Yes. I'm working with the church right now. And I told him, I said, Hey, if there's anybody in your group that, you know, that they have the stuff, they could do it. Could you just encourage them to go that way? And I said, or the other way to look at it is who in your group really bugs you. Wouldn't you like to see them out? <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Yes. Oh, that's perfect. Um, Which they might have a leadership gift and that's why they bug them. You know, that's exactly right. Because they're always asking why, why, why? Yeah, that's right. Uh, staff nomination in our smaller campuses when they get started early. Um, there's people in their leadership community already with Sunday morning environments that we say, hey, who are top drawer mature leaders that you feel uh, would make good group leaders? And we will put them with somebody else. So it's a co-lead kind of situation. They're not feeling the full burden, but you know they've got the leadership potential. They're involved in a Sunday morning environment. Obviously, an adult group on a weeknight will not interfere with that commitment. So we'll go to other staff and look at current Sunday and volunteers. And But again, all those, you know, when we have asked our attendees who ended up leading, what were the things that helped move the needle on their leadership? And we're just, you know, we're all setting the silver bullet. There is none. It's all no. these little pushes along the way. And then somebody seen something in somebody that called them out and just said, hey, you, you got too much here. You, you need to do this. So, yeah. And sometimes people don't see it for themselves. That's that's very true. It, it really takes that insight of somebody else. And I mean, not only is it just, you know, it's not just honoring their flattering. It's, you know, they, they just don't see it because it's so it's not obvious to them. They think everybody can do that, you know. <laughs> so if I text and say, hey, Bill, I want to be a leader. Um, or, hey, Andy, I want to be a leader. Um, what happens next? Yeah, great question. So we have an application system, a process where they fill out an application. Then they have an interview with an individual staff person. Generally, smaller campuses may use a key volunteer. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we'll check a couple of references. It's arduous at times, but it's well worth it, you know, because generally it is just words of affirmation that then you can pour back on the individual that gives them, you know, steam to move forward in their leadership. And then once they are approved, we end up doing what is functionally a new leader orientation for them and walk them through what we would say is really the one-on-one of group life for us. In the first 90 days for a new leader, we want to give them three touch points. So two of those are in huddle formats and the third is going to be a personal interaction with a uh, staff person, because what we've come to find through the years is that launching new groups is really done in the first 90 to 120 days. Mm. And if we can handhold and make sure they've got the assets and the tools that they need to get launched well, then we have been successful uh, most of the time. So we provide two of those huddles actually have material. First one, as I said, is really more of an orientation the second one more is case study and scenarios. What do you do in this situation? And then that's a great time to bring in some seasoned leaders who can speak in 
to what's happened when those scenarios take place. And then, um, you know, we try to provide touch points and huddles for all leaders uh, a couple of times a year. Um, during COVID, we were being very intentional of providing drive-through opportunities for leaders just to see other leaders or see their staff coaches, their staff directors through a drive-through. And we would give them a piece of swag or something that was just saying, hey, we are, we know this has been a really tough season. Pivoting to both digital and in-person has been real challenging. Thank you for what you're doing. Since we've opened back up since uh, for us, that was Easter. We've provided three different meet and greets after church on Sunday, just again, to try to build that community again uh, that has been so disconnected for so long. Because you, you know this, I mean, I love Zoom. Um, we, we've learned so much because of Zoom, but there is a real thing called Zoom fatigue. And yeah. we've, got, we've got limits to it. And I, I will say um, digital community is good, especially when it leads to embodied community. Mm -hmm. and, um, and there's no substitute. So, yeah, no, definitely. So people have, they've signed up to do a group. They've, they've met the requirements. Um, how do you fill these groups? So great. Uh, we do, we had a database shift about four years ago, which enabled us to move seamlessly. And that was the operative word. You could always do online digital connection, but we couldn't do it seamlessly without creating competing databases. Oh, which, wow. Which, which we didn't want to do. So it's we, a bit daunting. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. Uh, every demon from the pit lives in those things. So we ended up um, creating one that actually worked with us. And so we put groups geographically and by season of life up on websites by individual churches. And then people, when it's open and those who have texted us to say, Hey, send us a reminder when the registration system opens, we send it to them. It's usually on a Sunday morning. So we get a Sunday morning announcement as well. And I'll tell you, we get about 70 to 80% of the slots filled by Sunday night. I mean, wow. people are unready to go. Now we're not, touching what we did in 2019. Okay. Mm -hmm. So fall of 21 and fall of 19, we're almost cut in half. I mean, I, you know, that's, that was just our, our reality, but they go to the registration, they find their seasonal life, find their uh, area of town. We do that two times a year. And then in the meantime, we provide some short-term group options for people to get a taste and see that group is okay. Mm -hmm. um, and we do that in we tend to do it in gathering locations. So it could be for empty nesters, could be for those newly married and do some content, put them at tables, give them a taste and see. And then the driver at the end of the night is always, usually these are four to six weeks, I should say. At the end of the four to six weeks, we do a driver twice around the next connection opportunity. That's coming Okay. Up. So they're doing those on campus or they're doing yeah. it other places? They're okay. doing it on campus, uh, generally by and large. Again, there's some outliers. We do some short-term groups at homes, but by and large, it's those more uh, larger gatherings. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. I, I we never talked about it. You know what that looked like in your church, and uh, honestly, it sounds you know let's kind of normal what other people do too. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just curious. Um, who would you say, as far as small group ministry goes, who who have been some of your influences? Well, I'll give you historically, and I'll give you recently. Okay. Um, 
historically, the book that kind of drove us, and there were several, Serendipity was a voice for us back in the day because they were taking concepts, breaking them down and allowing people to engage around them. And they were so good at it. And, um, you know, especially when it came to scripture and uh, engaging people around it. Carl George, his book, Prepare Your Church for the Future, was a game changer for us and gave us really a good understanding of span of care. And uh, that was really helpful. Our friends uh, at Willow back in the day were very instrumental. Uh, Bill Donahue, Russ Robinson, uh, Rex Minor, all those guys, Mm -hmm. very uh, important. Bill actually uh, mentored and coached us for probably the first two or three years. We just used him as an outside source and their values-based approach we resonated with and and got a lot from them. But I, I mean, we've learned from you know everyone we've everyone we've read and you know this in group minute. We we all there's not too many original thoughts. We're all big <laughs> borrowing, stealing from each other, and I love that. I mean, I think that's the way it should be. More recently, with the short-term group options, National Christian uh, with Heather um, with their semester-based system. We, mm-hmm. we understand why they do semester-based in on Capitol Hill, because it's the nature of the beast. People come yeah. and leave. We, you know, obviously for a high value of long uh, established authentic community, that's hard to get in there. But it did, it did register with us that there's something there to connecting people, mm-hmm. giving them some kind of experience in the short term. So that, that uh, informative, but your book, Chris Rott's book, uh, Bill Search's book have all been meaningful deposits into our conversations. So, well, thanks. I heard my book. I didn't hear the rest of those guys. <laughs> yeah, who, who I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I can't believe you said Capitol Hill and Beast in the same sentence. So, um, <laughs> I love it. All right. So, getting going back to serious, you have pastors that they built a thing, and then the last year and a half happened, and it kind of is falling apart, and they don't know where their people are. If they're coming back or they got mad over something and, you know, so, so now they're trying to rebuild their small group ministry. Sure. So you, you know, this, I mean, you're living this, you since, you know, this whole ethos, what do you say to the pastor is trying to rebuild a small group ministry right now? And it's just not coming as easy as it's been. The reality is what we experienced in 19 and what we're going to experience in 22 are going to be two different things. I mean, mm-hmm. we just have to come to rest with that, that people are now getting content different ways because of our online experiences. And that's okay for content. It's not okay if they're going to be disconnected. And so what we need to do is recognize that our marketing has to be different than it was just throwing up the announcement on Sunday and helping people get there. I think we got to through social media, constantly remind people of the benefits of the connected life, mm-hmm. what actually happens as a result. So we tell the story, not the bow, everything's perfect story all the time, but we do tell the person when they had life happen and it fell apart, it was their community that walked with them. When they were wondering, where was God in the midst of my life? There was a group of people who gave them perspective to move back towards him, not run from him. That, that's, you know, that's going to be, um, you know, so important because community life is mission critical for what they're doing. It's just going to be different. Um, I'd say also always be learning, which means look for ways. Um, if you wonder, 
uh, about something, put pen and paper together and noodle on it. And what's the problem we're trying to solve? And what's the ways that we could solve this? And then how will we know, evaluate? How will we know we solved it? I think, you know, innovation is an important piece, but don't forget in the midst of it, effective education, I mean, execution. I mean, because at the end of the day, groups in my estimation come down to two things. What's your plan? Who's your guide? What's your plan? Who's your guide? What are we going to do? Who's going to lead us there? And I think we can keep, you know, the simplicity of that upon us. We, we will, will be a step ahead. We went through a season during COVID where we had a lot of freedom to innovate, but there were hard days to innovate around, right? So, you know, we didn't know what was working. Innovation is so critical, but don't forget, we can get our eyes off of the ball of the blocking and tackling that is group ministry when we're trying to come up with that next silver bullet. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we're as guilty of that at times as anyone. I, obviously, I would, I would always say, when in doubt, keep your model simple. Don't try to be all things to all people. I would say, choose an approach, and you're probably going to cherry pick pick from a number of people. That's fine. There's no perfect model. There's no perfect group. Embrace it, but choose what you're going to do. Run it for a season. Evaluate it along the way. Modify what needs to be done, and then sleep well at night because you've done what you can do at that point. I think the thing that leaders, uh, organizational leaders tell us all the time is that clarity is kindness and being clear about what are we trying to do and how are we going to try to do it and keeping that in front of people keeps it simple. That's why I love the plan and guide uh, idea. But the last thing I would say is don't grow weary. Relational ministry is hard. It's messy because it involves people and people are messy. In the words of uh, Paul, don't grow weary in doing good. Because if we persevere, if we continue in good time, we may just reap a harvest. And that harvest may be that one decision where somebody had a bad thought, a bad day, a bad, somebody made a bad decision, and they were on the cusp of moving towards Jesus or away from him. And because of what you did, they found their moorings, they came back to what they knew to be, know to be true, and they were saved. And I don't mean just spiritually, I mean functionally in life. And that's what group ministry does. It is one deposit that helps make one decision clear, I think, every day. That's good. Well, Bill, thank you very much. We appreciate your time. Alan, great to be with you. Thank you. If you enjoy the Exponential Groups podcast, please rate it wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend. If you have an idea for a future episode, please contact us at info at We would love to hear your suggestions. And thank you for listening.